young fella, Sam, uh, big bearded fella. Um, quick announcement, all those men have indicated that they would like to do the eldership training course. We're going to have a quick meeting in my office up the back there after the service, uh, just so we can work out when we're actually going to meet uh, in the future. So, uh, quick meeting after church. Uh, all right, we have been going through uh, the book of First Peter, and over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the topic of submission, a difficult topic to look at nowadays, of course. Uh, so we've looked at submission to authorities, to rulers, and we've even looked at the fact Peter says, be in submission to cruel authority, be in submission to cruel masters. And so we've been looking at what all of that means. So if you're new with us this morning, that's kind of the journey we're on. And, and this morning kind of continues the th same theme uh, about submission. So that's just to give you a little bit of context. All right. I think one of the most difficult jobs out there would have to be being a dentist. The reason I think that is this. Nobody loves going to the dentist. Just can't wait for another filling, that injection into the gum, love it. Maybe next time I'll ask for one I don't even need because it's just so good, right? No, nobody loves going to the dentist. But what would be really strange would be if you had to get a tooth pulled and you said to the dentist, can I please have that tooth? You see, I need to put it under my pillow. And if I do, it turns into money, right? Now, I don't know how the dentist is going to look at you, but it's going to be odd because the reality is that as we grow up, we have to put aside childish ideas. When we become an adult, we realize that the impact of losing a tooth at the dentist doesn't make money, it costs you money. Right? This is part of becoming an adult. So why start this way? Well, Peter, in our passage, is more or less saying to Christians, it's time to grow up. Time to put away childish beliefs and accept the truth. To Christians, accept the truth. And that is this, Jesus is worthy of all praise, eternal life is going to be amazing, and your life with Christ is going to be tough, right? Jesus is worthy of all praise, and your life with Christ is going to be tough. Immature Christians, children in the faith, Look for churches or messages that are going to tell them everything is awesome, you're just so special. And Peter is saying, as adults, you need to know the truth, and the truth is, it's going to be tough until you enter your eternal rest. Right? That's the reality of our faith. And that's what we're going to be looking at together this morning. It's challenging, sure, but it's incredibly hopeful and I think shares one of the absolute keys to honouring Christ with your life and holding firm until the end so that you can, with Paul, say, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I have kept 
the faith. Amen? That's our goal, and I think this morning is one of those key passages to making sure that we get to the end and finish the race well. All right, if you have your Bible there, you can open up to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 21 to 25. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25. For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. All right, so it begins for, and as we keep pointing out, as we always learn to read the Bible in context, for means it links directly to what was looked at before, in this case, the verses that we looked at last week. For you were called to this. Called to what? Well, I believe that is the challenging question that marks our maturity in Christ that Peter wants us to understand. We are called to endure suffering on our pathway to eternal life, right? That's what we looked at last week, suffering for doing the right thing, being persecuted for doing the right thing. Suffering is part of the process of maturing in Christ. Not only that, says Peter, suffering is not an accident. It's not because God made a mistake, the devil somehow pulled the wool over God's eyes. In fact, Peter says, you were called to this. That word called is effectual call. In other words, it means God made it happen. God made you Suffer for his name and glory is what Peter is saying. And accepting that truth is a long step in maturing in Christ. Now, it's easy normally to look at verses like, you know, God disciplines those he loves, or those who produce fruit he will prune to make them even more fruitful. It's easy to skip over verses like that. It's a little harder when in context, Peter's like, submit to cruel masters, you've been called to suffer as part of the process of becoming like Christ. I've done, I don't know, I couldn't tell you how many pre-marriage counselling courses over the years. And part of the assessment that this course uses is the people doing the pre-marriage course, they have to fill out some ridiculous amount of questions, like 185 questions or something. Uh, and anyway, it spits out a, a report that we use as we go through the pre-marriage counselling. And 
it has in there these questions which are designed to see how much of the rose-coloured glasses the couple has on. It has questions like, we will never have serious problems in our marriage. Put a five for strongly agree, four for agree, three for I'm not sure, two for disagree, one for strongly disagree, right? And your pre-marriage couples, they're all just like, five, we will never struggle in our marriage. And you do pre-marriage and it comes out with this assessment and your pre-marriage couples normally score in the 80 percents. In, in rose-coloured glasses, you've got 86 percent, some of them. Or some of these, some people in this room scored in the 90s, which is impressive. Um, uh, anyway, not looking at anyone, Ethan. No, anyway, um, I don't think he scored that high, did you? No. Anyway, um, the reality is, that's pre-marriage couples. They're excited, they're joyful, they're happy, right? It's a wonderful thing. I use a similar assessment tool for married couples. And it has the same question, basically, in there. They score less than 10% on that. Now, these are happily married couples sometimes, right? But the reality is, they know a realistic picture of marriage. They know it's difficult. They know it takes work. They know that, yes, you face struggles, but if you focus on Christ, you can work through those struggles and come out the other side, right? So they get that. They understand that. And this is what I'm talking to you about this morning. Peter is saying to you, church, stop rose-colored glass Christianity. Right? Take them off. The reality is the journey is tough. It has heartaches, it has struggles, it has difficulties. In fact, God is using those things to shape you and mold you into the image of Christ. They are necessary on your way to salvation. Right? That's the reality, isn't it? As children, we needed discipline, didn't we? True? we did, right? We needed discipline. And as Christians, we need discipline. We need to be shaped, molded, corrected on our journey to Christ-likeness. Maybe it's illness. Maybe it's employment issues, family issues. The mature Christian prays about these things but also keeps their eyes on Christ and keeps serving and glorifying Him regardless of the outcome of those prayers. Right? The mature Christian keeps focused on Christ, glorifying and serving Him regardless of the outcome of those prayers. So Peter brings us to the crux of this passage and this whole section based on submission. I think this is the real pivotal point. Although it keeps going in the next chapter, this is kind of the real crux of the issue. Why are we called to suffer by submitting to cruel masters? Why? How is that going to play out in our life? And Peter gives you the answer. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Right? This is the foundational, the crucial part of our 
theology of submission, Christ suffered for you. Church, here's the question I want you to pause on right now. Christ suffered for you. Did you deserve it? That is the pivotal turning point here of our theology. Christ suffered for you. Did you deserve it? Was there anything of you that deserved having God in the flesh die for you? No. You did not deserve, you were not worthy of the cross. Just think about that. You are not worthy of Christ's sacrifice. No one is. To this very day, you constantly reject Jesus when you choose sin over honouring him. To this day, as Christians, we're not worthy of the cross. We are rebels in our hearts. We love the pleasures of sin and the chaos it brings more than we love the King of Kings and his rightful rule. All of us fall short of God's standard. All of us are self-centered, self-serving, self-worshipping people. How do I know this? Because we all think we deserve better. We all think our husband or wife should treat us better. We all think our friends should treat us better. We all think the world should treat us better. While all the while we treat one another poorly. I've thought about this as I was reflecting through the week and one of the things that came to mind, and maybe you'll get this, maybe you won't, but one thing that came to mind for me was this. People's absolute incredible non-stop adoration of their pets, right? The love of cats and dogs is pretty insane what people do. Like, we have a cat at home. The thing doesn't even like to be held or patted, and yet, get held and patted it is. And it looks like it just wants to escape, it's ready to bite you, but nonetheless, everyone wants to hold this poor cat and pat the poor cat. Right? There's something about showing it affection that people like. And yet, if I was to say to my very same children who will forcibly pat that cat, hey, how about you give your dad a massage? I've got a tight shoulder. Indignation. How dare you ask that of me? What is that? Really, seriously, if, think about that. But we're actually all like that. What's the difference? The difference is we realize, you know, the cat can't give anything back or the dog can't give anything back and we're more than happy to do it. But the moment we think that the other person is actually capable of doing something for me, that's what changes it. Because they haven't earned that right. I shouldn't have to give that to them when they could do it for me. Isn't that our attitude all the time? Right? There's something fundamentally self about us. There's a sinfulness about us. And this is why Peter says, church, 
You must bring your gaze off yourself and bring it to Jesus. And you must dwell there, stay there, focus there. Because when you do, you realize that Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, God who took on flesh, he was willing to suffer the shame, pain, indignation of the cross for you when you did not deserve it. And when you look at Christ, that is your example to how you can live in submission to authority. Right? Focus on Christ. You will only be able to submit to cruel masters, only be able to suffer persecution for doing what is right if you stay in Christ, stay connected to the vine and follow his example. We should know, we should understand that if we follow the example of Christ, then there is nothing that we wouldn't be willing to do even for people who would despise us. Because that is the example of Christ. Peter, who is writing this letter, we don't know for sure because it's not biblical, but our historical sources tell us that Peter was crucified upside down and he was crucified upside down because he requested it, stating that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same way as Christ. Obviously, Peter, by the end of his life, had forsaken all things for the joy of knowing Christ. Peter put into practice what he's saying here. Focus on Christ. Follow his example. And serve and give of ourselves until the very end, finish the race. Laying this foundation for us, Peter now begins to delve more deeply in verse 22 on that we looked at in regards to that perfect example for us in Christ's suffering. Now, Peter is not saying that we will suffer exactly like Christ. When we suffer, we're not atoning for anyone's sin like Jesus was. But he is our perfect example. Now, to do so, Peter quotes constantly in these couple of verses from Isaiah chapter 53, the famous suffering servant passage. Now, I'm not going to read that out to you all this morning, but I do encourage you through the week, make sure you take time to read Isaiah 53, uh, get stuck into those passages of Isaiah that reveal Christ to us so well. So, I encourage you to get in there and have a read of that. But these are things that Peter wants to bring out for you and for me about following Christ's example. Firstly, he did not commit sin. He never sinned. Now, this is unique to Jesus. No one else has ever, can ever, will ever declare that they are without sin. It is unique to Jesus, and to this day, I still find that hard to comprehend, to live a life without ever sinning. Surely you feel the same way, right? I would love a day without sinning, 
But like I said, we live in the self too often. We want to exchange God's glory for the glory of ourselves or other things, right? But Jesus never sinned. He simply lived for the Father's glory and never deviated. Never deviated. He was tempted in every way, says the word, and never once gave into temptation. It's amazing, isn't it? Tempted with all the things that tempt us and never gave in. Christ, his uniqueness, his perfection is incredible to behold. So is Peter saying, follow the example of Christ? Church, once you're perfectly sinless, then, you know, you're on track. No, of course not, right? Of course not. We're in a lot of trouble if that was the case. No, follow the overall picture. Peter is saying, as we follow Christ in suffering, as we submit to cruel masters, as we are punished for honoring Christ by those who do not, we should not give in to sin or deceit to try and get out of it. That's what he's talking about. We shouldn't give in to sin or deceit. We shouldn't give in to those things as a way of getting ourselves out of the trouble that honoring Christ brings us into. Okay, so this is Peter's point. We don't intentionally sin to avoid the trouble that comes with honoring Christ. Now, remember, this is a little bit nuanced. Do we support, for instance, the uh, people in Germany who broke the rules to save Jewish people? Yes, of course we do. Do we support today those who are breaking rules to save girls and boys out of sexual slavery? Yes, of course we do. Do we support people smuggling Bibles and sharing the gospel in countries where that's illegal? Yes, of course we do. But in each of these cases, it's a defiance of worldly authority in order to fulfill biblical command. So we've looked at that again and again and again, right? When the Scripture commands us, that is our highest authority. But what Peter is talking about here is this. When worldly authority asks you to commit sin for worldly reasons, we should not lie our way out of it. We should not sin but accept the consequences of following Christ and His example. One day, you get taken to court because you refuse to call the trans person by their preferred pronoun and will only use their actual gender that God gave them. Will you apologize and say, I was mistaken, or declare I stand on God's word and I can do no other? Right? This is what Peter is saying. You can't use lying, deceit, and sin to get you out of trouble for honoring God's word. You must stand on his truth. Right? This, this is Peter's point. So just as Christ was tempted but never gave in, Peter's more or less saying, you're going to be tempted to try and get yourself out of trouble when it comes to honoring Christ. You're going to be tempted to sin or lie. And Peter is saying, no. No. Stand on God's promises. 
and accept the consequences. Right? In verse 23, Peter then makes a very clear point to us that ties into all of this. He's more or less saying Jesus did not live in a monastery to achieve his sinlessness. Jesus didn't hide away from the world so he didn't have to bear insult. He didn't have to bear all of those struggles. He he didn't hide himself away so that he could live an easy, sinless life. The reality is Jesus lived in the world but wasn't of the world. He faced its absolute worst and he lived 100% righteously. When insulted, he didn't insult back. When suffered, he didn't threaten in return, but trusted himself to the Father who judges honestly. Right? It's not an option to retreat and hide and then say, I'm living a sinless life. No, we live in the world, shining the light of Christ, sharing the good news, bearing its insults, bearing its scorn, bearing its shame, and living righteously. That's the example of Christ. When insulted, he didn't insult back. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Do you like that? What makes a threat more serious? What makes a threat more serious? When you can carry it out, right? That's the reality. What makes a threat more serious is when it can be carried out, right? If Jesus makes a threat, can he carry it out? You just imagine Jesus turning to, you know, the soldier that was whipping him and be like, look, one more time and I will stop holding you together by the power of my word. Like he's got, is that an empty threat? No, doesn't the word tell us he holds all things together? Like seriously, he could make a threat that packs some serious weight but he didn't. That's Peter's point. He didn't. He was honoring the Father. He was fulfilling his mission to lay down his life for an undeserving people. Because he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, says Philippians 2, but taking on the form of a servant, he suffered and died the righteous for the unrighteous. Rather than fight for his earthly rights, Jesus trusted his Father, the perfect and righteous judge, to judge fairly. He did not need to fight for earthly rights because eternal joy was his. Think about that again. He could endure insult and ridicule Because he trusted the Father who was going to put all things right. You and I are absolutely no different. We've been given the righteousness of Jesus. Your debt is paid. Sins are forgiven. You're declared righteous on the basis of what Christ has done. And just like him, you don't need to fight for your rights. You don't need to fight for your share of earthly treasure when you have an eternal and undefiled home waiting for you. Right? This is Peter's point to follow the example of Christ. I do want to pause here. Because I do think we should clarify this. 
Peter is not saying, if you are in a bad situation, suck it up and do nothing about it, you're a Christian. He is writing here to slaves who literally cannot change their situation. And he's telling them to honour Christ and justice will eventually come. Right? That, that, that's the context. So when we think about submission, we've got to balance submission in Scripture with the rest of Scripture. The next passage that we're going to start uh, next week looks at submission of, of wives to husbands. But we've also got to remember what the Scripture says about this. Wives, submit to your husband in Ephesians. Husbands, lay down your lives like Jesus laid down his life for the church, right? There's this incredible balance. Paul, after he's been flogged in Philippi, makes them publicly apologize to him. Like he, he kind of forces the justice system to embarrass themselves why does he do that? To protect the fledgling church. So Paul doesn't say to the fledgling church in Philippi, oh, look, it's part of being a Christian, just deal with it. No, he takes the opportunity he has to try and offer some protection to the church, right? So there is a balance. It doesn't mean we just take abuse, right? Now, Paul says, well, Peter says, when you're in a situation, whatever that situation is, seek to honor Christ. If you can change that situation, great. But while you're in it, seek to honour Christ. Some good question to ask ourselves would be these. Is my staying in this situation glorifying to Jesus? That's a, a good question to ask yourself. Like, obviously, missionaries overseas in a heavily persecuted country, it's not easy, it's not joyful necessarily all the time, it can be really hard. Why are they staying there? Because they're seeking to glorify Jesus. So, is my situation glorifying to Jesus? Secondly, is it something we can change without being sinful or worldly? Right? So is this difficult situation I mean, something I can change without giving in to sin and deceit, as Peter put it earlier? So if there's an opportunity where we can simply change something, then, then go for it. If it's not sinful, if it's not deceitful, then there's nothing wrong with changing our situation. Or is the one causing the suffering a believer and in need of repentance and discipline? Well, then I should go one-on-one -on -one and talk to that person and then two or three-on-one, bring the elders in, right? Deal with the situation. Scripture doesn't say, oh, sit there and just be a good martyr for Jesus when it's given us instructions about how to deal with someone who's acting ungodly. Right? So do you understand the balance here? Right? So, when we're in a tough situation, maybe we can't get out of, Peter says, put Christ first and glorify Him. But the Scripture is full of ways in which, in a godly way, we can change our situation. Okay? So, we've got to balance those out. Our attitude is to trust Christ and follow His example. Not needing to fight for worldly rights or gain, and to suffer for Christ when following him, when injustice for following him comes. Peter now clearly spells out for us the uniqueness of Christ's suffering, that he bore our sins on the tree. Now, by the way, the tree was simply a slang term of the day for the cross. So we can read about it in other historical documents, the tree, being nailed to the tree. And Jesus took the penalty of your sin 
He carried the weight and consequence and penalty of your sin, and it was nailed to him on the cross. On the cross, our full debt was paid. Jesus declared that it was finished, and the written record of sin that stood against you was cancelled because the penalty was paid. It wasn't ignored. It was paid for on the cross by Christ. This is the amazing truth and joy that is revealed to us when we put our faith in Christ. Celebrate it. Rejoice in it. But Peter wants us to go one step further, and it's really important. You are saved by grace, by Jesus bearing your sin and dying on the cross, as I said. But, listen to this, you are saved to something. As Peter puts it, with Jesus paying the penalty of your sin, you have died to it, and you can now live for righteousness. It's really important. In short, the verse begins with the basis of your forgiveness, Christ's atoning death on the cross, and then moves to the purpose of that salvation, which is to live a new kind of life. Right? Super important we rest, wrestle with that truth. Becoming a Christian is not just about the cross. The cross is the entry point to the kingdom of God, which begins at the moment you became a Christian. And then your whole Christian life is about life in the kingdom of God, restored to a right relationship with God, freed from the power of sin, and able to live an honoring life to God. You've been saved to righteousness, to a different life. I want you to think about this this morning. If you're a Christian, then your life in the kingdom has already begun. You aware of that? If you're a Christian, then your life in the kingdom has already become. It's not something that we're going to wait to die to enter into the kingdom of God. But if you're a Christian, your life in the kingdom of God has begun because you died and were set free to live in righteousness. You died and were set free to come together in the community of the church where our king is Christ and he directly reigns. This is the kingdom of God and you're in it. And Peter says, live like it. You've been set free from sin and death to live righteously, to live differently than you used to live. Living for righteousness means simply that you will live rightly before God. Right? That you will live rightly before God. Because Christ paid our penalty set us free from sin and death so we can live as God intended. With love, hope, faith. Freely giving the grace that we receive. Right? You've been saved to something. And your life should be different because you are set free to live righteously. To finish chapter 2, Peter summarizes this same point again. He just words the same sort of idea a little bit differently. By quoting Isaiah 53, he says, By his wounds you have been healed. What has been healed? Well, verse 25, there is the connecting word again. For you were like sheep going astray. 
In other words, what was healed, it was our sin, our rebellion against God was healed when you came to him. You were like sheep wandering off on their own and the consequence of a sheep wandering off its own in that day was death. You were going to starve, you were going to die of thirst, you are going to be attacked by wolves. It was death. And Peter says, you were like sheep gone astray in your rebellion against God, but because Jesus has paid your debt, you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Right, says Peter? Through Christ's death, you've been healed from that rebellious heart and you've been brought into submission to the great shepherd and overseer of your souls. We are called to follow Christ's example. But also to realize that we do so because he set us free from sin and death and brought us to our true master, Christ himself. Do you want to be mature in the faith? Rather than a child being lied to and excited about the promise of material things, then follow the example of Jesus. Accept that suffering and trial are part of your walk and Christ is using it to mould you into his likeness. Endure with joy because you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Right? This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, it is not easy for any of us to wrestle with the idea of submission to a cruel master. And your answer to that wrestle, that struggle in our heart, is to point us to Jesus. Lord, he willingly laid down his life for those who are not worthy, for us. looking to your example. We had a walk after Christ, set free from sin and death, in joyful submission. Lord, we pray that you truly help us to reflect on, remember, center ourselves on Christ. Lord, may we look to you and may that be our strength and our hope when we face suffering of many kinds. Lord, we just want to praise you, thank you, and honor you together this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen.